0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 1020
1: with Noah Glass, CEO and founder of Olo. Conscious capitalism, I, I see through the lens of something that in our industry I've heard called enlightened hospitality. And I, I think about it through that lens because this is the lens that I've been trained to think in through another board member of mine. That's Danny Meyer. I think those are our, you know, close cousins, conscious capitalism, enlightened hospitality. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become
0: Unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot Outfit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com/rsp. That's rsp for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com/rsp. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Look, there is a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Like, are you connecting with your diners and with the right message and could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining room has room for? There's so much to consider and it can be overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people. And that's why I recommend pop menu. And that's why restaurants get pop menu. Frankly, pop menu is technology for restaurants that are ready to grow for a limited time. Get $100 off your first month. Plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenucom slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Restaurants Unstoppable Network is coming back and we are stronger than ever before. So, During the pandemic, I started the network as a way to evolve and adapt, and when things opened back up, I was on the road again. That is my happy place, but there is value in the network, but I knew I couldn't be on the road and do the network at the same time, so I recruited Callan Miola to be our community manager, and she is killing it. She is organizing things like I could never have done on my own, and we are getting After it. So if you want to be a part of the conversation, the podcast is the leading edge. We're out there. We're turning over rocks. We're finding leads. The network is where we pull back the layers. We dive deep, but we connect our listeners to the tools, services and organizations that are being referred to us organically. If you want to be in the network act now, because the first 50 people to sign up will get a free t-shirt head over to restaurant slash whatever the episode number is find the link or the banner in the show notes and you will get a 30-day trial to get into the network get a free shirt and if you opt into the one year plan we will throw in a hat and a mug thank you in advance Restaurant owners and operators, you can make a difference in the lives of your staff and their families by supporting CORE, which stands for Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE is a national nonprofit that provides financial grants to food and beverage service employees with children when either the employee, their child, or their partner faces a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Not only can you share CORE as a benefit and resource with your staff. You can also donate directly or host a fundraising promotion. Core critically needs your financial support to continue to provide relief to restaurant employees that qualify for a grant when life does not go as planned. Support of Core allows you to give back to your employees and restaurant families across the country. Visit coregives.com to learn more. Together, we can make a difference in the lives of those who serve us daily. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest founder and CEO of Olo, Noah Glass. My man Noah, are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: I am feeling unstoppable today and yeah, every day. Eric, thank you so much for having me. I'm psyched to be here. It's
0: been, I want to say, close to a year in the works. We've been trying to get our schedules to line up. Uh, We're here. We made it happen you are a juggernaut in the online digital presence space. I know you started off as mobile ordering, but you're so much more than that today. And I can't wait to unpackage who you are, how you got to where you are today and where you're going. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us?
1: Okay. I swear that this is not a prop, but if you look to your left and I think you told me that you took a photo of this sign. <laughs> it
0: was the first time I noticed when I walked in.
1: Restaurant Unstoppable, I had to come on because my motivational quote is do do not stop. Oh,
0: the B roll. The B roll will be rolling right now. Okay. So and why is that your
1: quote? Um, there are two reasons. One, it came from a sign that I saw on an electronic toll bridge, uh, the Hudson Bridge, coming out of New York and into New York. That uh, was one of the first that I uh, encountered that went fully electronic. And it had this sign to teach drivers that they didn't have to slow down anymore. And it just said, do not stop. And I thought it was sort of the universe calling out to me that this was a great mantra. So my wife turned it into a sign, that very sign that you see, and gave it to me as one of, I think, my favorite gifts that I've ever received. And it's one of the few items of decor that's followed me over the years.
0: Good thing you told me that because I almost stole it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You would have been upset.
1: I'm glad you didn't steal that. (laughs) Uh, She's probably glad you didn't steal that. The other reason is that there's an old Confucius quote. And it's, uh, it doesn't matter how fast or slow you go as long as you do not stop. Right. I think that, that just, just start and don't stop. Right. Yes, and then don't that.
0: compare yourself to other people. You are exactly where you're supposed to be as long as you keep on showing up every day. Right. And, yep. uh, that's a great way to get this thing started. It's so appropriate too, man. Uh, I'm super excited for today's conversation, but where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Like
1: take us to the beginning. Okay. Well, the very beginning for me is growing up in my hometown of Newton, Massachusetts, and uh, I grew up with my mom as a great gourmet cook. And my mom is a cookbook author. wrote oh, cool. uh, She wrote a column in the town newspaper called "Rescuing the Dinner Hour," and she was just constantly cooking. And so, restaurants for me were always this rare treat of an experience and unusual to get to go out to a restaurant to get restaurant food for takeout or for delivery. And so one of my first jobs growing up was at a pizza restaurant called uh, Pizza Man in Newton Center, Massachusetts. This is when I got my license and could drive. Before that, I served as a cashier at a uh, a gas station, service station, even closer to home. But when I got my car, I, I knew I wanted to be a pizza delivery driver. And it's weird, but many, many years later, that experience as a pizza delivery driver has been such a formative experience in my career And I've said this before, I'll say it again, I hope to do this, what I'm doing now for the rest of my career. And so that early seedling of experience in the restaurant industry, the place where so many people get their start working in the restaurant industry, that became a lifelong passion even from that moment as a 17-year-old.
0: Yeah, man. Driving, delivering pizza is so much fun. I did that for a solid eight years, too, throughout college and high school and post-college. It's don't you miss those days sometimes?
1: <laughs> I do. Uh, that was
0: a little more simple back then.
1: What I don't miss was the moment when my brakes failed oh, at man. the most uh, at the busiest intersection in my hometown in in Newton, and uh, almost was a, a bad ending to that job and a, a bad ending to me, oh. my existence. That was probably the last straw of pizza delivery. But aside from that, it was just a wonderful learning experience and also understanding the power of tips and recognition mm-hmm. that people get when you're earning, in my case, $4 an hour, 10 cents per mile and tips. Somebody being generous and giving you a $20 tip on an order just felt like I don't know, a game changer. And yeah. so I've tried to sort of pay it forward and do the same thing for young pizza delivering uh, folks in in my day as a, as a guest in the years since.
0: I mean, I feel like we're getting a, a little ahead of we're already going down a rabbit hole straight out of the gates, but I'm curious before we continue with your story, like where do you fall with tipping culture right now? Like, where, like I know that's kind of not necessarily like your area of expertise, but like, I'm curious on your thoughts of that.
1: Uh, as a restaurant goer, I am a, I think pretty generous tipper when I, when I feel like somebody has really, I mean, I, I, I constantly am giving a tip that is at the yeah. high end of the range, but I'll really go above and beyond if I feel someone has right. similarly gone above and beyond. I don't love the tip percentage being foisted on people. And I feel like that has caused some fatigue.
0: I was curious about that because as yeah. somebody, because as you, you build these platforms, these mediums through which transactions happen, uh, it's like that that tipping culture of the, the full service, high touch experience is kind of rolling over into the QSR world. And like you get this screen and it's like 20% tip. I ordered a, a black coffee, yeah, you know, I mean 20% of like, Two dollars isn't a big deal. Right. You know, but at the same time, um, sometimes it's just like flat out like a dollar, two dollar, three dollars on a three dollar yep. transaction. So it is a little weird sometimes.
1: It is a little weird. Sometimes it doesn't feel natural. It feels like you're being judged in the right. moment by the person who is watching you. Do you tip or do you not tip? That's obviously a social mechanism, right. it, it influences people to tip more, but it can leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And then they might think twice about coming back to that establishment. So I don't I don't love that, especially in that context of a coffee transaction, something that is with a cashier at the restaurant, despite having started even before being a pizza delivery driver, being a cashier. There were certainly no tips at the service station, um, but I, I, I think when it's a genuine expression of appreciation, tipping is a, a beautiful thing for sure. For sure,
0: um, yeah, cool. I won't push you any further than than that. Maybe it'll come up later. Who knows? Uh, so you you your first entry into hospitality into the restaurant industry as as, as a pizza driver. Um, how long were you doing that? Was this like straight until you went to college, or
1: I did it for the summer before heading off to college. Okay. And it was just, you know, it was a way of making some money It was a way of utilizing the asset, the car to make some more money than I could at the service station. But it really taught me a lot about interacting with people, even in a limited transactional or, or classically transactional kind of interaction, because the way that I interacted with those people as I delivered the pizza would oftentimes make the difference in the tip that I received. And I picked up on that pretty oh, early sure. in the job. Yeah,
0: for sure. So I, I want to brag for you. You, you went to Yale. I did. Homeboys, wicked smart. Uh, <laughs> went to Yale. Uh, you were there. You graduated around 2000.
1: Uh, I graduated from Yale in 2003.
0: 2003. Oh um, yes. man, me, me too. And we went. There. We were like uh, growing up on the, the East Coast around the same time there. That's right. New yeah, Hampshire. I love that, man.
1: Newton. Yep. Uh,
0: so you were, I know you're at Shutterfly. You, you've been, and you have this place in 2003 Endeavor. You were there for a little while. Only mm. two years after graduating, you, you started your, your your own company. Yeah. Am I so skipping over any critical po- points here?
1: You're not. Um, so Shutterfly was a, an incredibly formative experience. It was an internship that I had in college, my first dot-com experience, and totally shifted where I found myself going after that role versus where I was coming into it. I How did came, it shift you? I, I mean, I came into college, and I have always looked up to my sister as a role model and followed her every step of the way. Um She was off at law school, and I just thought, I'm going to focus on political science, undergraduate, because that is the best thing to do to train for law school. I love debate. I love argument. I love writing. That's going to be the thing that I do. When I got to Shutterfly, it was the summer of 2000. It was kind of the high watermark of that initial dot-com boom. Right. And I looked at what the lawyer was doing at Shutterfly, and he was a, a lovely guy and had a probably really fun job relative to other lawyers. And relative to the rest of the team, he was just buried in work and really not having a great time. Um, And the people who I gravitated towards, the team that I was on, was the product management team. And the idea that you could have an idea and then write code to manifest that idea in reality was just mind-boggling to me. And to take a, a a new leap in consumer technology, which was for Shutterfly digital cameras being readily available instead of analog cameras and to rethink an entire business model, to rethink how digital photo printing would work um, was just amazing to me. It was so empowering. And then if I connect the dots back to Olo, you know, the, the idea was in my mind in 2003, consumers are about to get smartphones broadly it's going to be ubiquitous and when they get smartphones when they have supercomputers in their pockets it will open up restaurants blows
0: to e-commerce off dude absolutely yeah and that's so you're right it's so exciting this idea of just industry slingshotting each other it's mm-hmm. like this this technological breakthrough happens and it just totally changes the game. I bet you're like chomping at the bit right now with uh, Chappie, uh the, all the AI, the chat, GPT, and all that. Totally uh, fascinating. Yeah. Totally maybe fascinating. we talk about that towards the end, Please. but uh, it's, it's truly a super exciting time. We live in right now with all these industries and technologies, literally just slingshotting us into the future.
1: It's, it's crazy. Absolutely right. Um, So so my story from there was I came back to school and I knew I wanted to do business and entrepreneurship. That's what Shutterfly did for me. And I actually wound up applying to business school as a senior at Yale, which is unusual. Usually business school you apply to a couple years into your your career, not directly out of college. Um, I I got in. I got into Harvard Business School and I had a two-year deferred admission, which at the time meant – go and work for two years, you're admitted into the class that will matriculate in the fall of 2005. So I had to fill that gap. And what I found that joined what I'd been studying at Yale and what I knew I wanted to do in entrepreneurship, I studied international development, I wanted to do entrepreneurship, I found this organization, Endeavor, which was just incredible. Endeavor was using entrepreneurship as a tool of international development. So international development had been big government grants, to build roads and whatnot. It had been uh, microfinance at the time, subsistence level sorts of things. Nothing was really in that sweet spot in the middle of empowering individuals to go and create the Microsofts, the Apples in emerging markets around the world. And Endeavor was focused on that from a nonprofit perspective. I got to join Endeavor. I think I was employee number 12 in the New York office. And I got to work very closely with the founder and CEO of Endeavor, who is now a great mentor and a board member at Olo, Linda Rotenberg, to launch the office in South Africa, in Johannesburg, South Africa. I wound up moving there for all of 2004. it oh, must have been
0: great as a young
1: man. Phenomenal to be in a, a different market. Two years old, 23 years old? I think I was, yeah, 22, 22, 23, exactly, uh, when I was living there. And what I saw there was uh, smartphone technology, smartphone apps, what we would now call smartphone apps at the time, smartphone applications that were built for Symbian and .NET Would you uh, say devices. they were ahead of us
0: at this time? Absolutely. Yeah. So
1: there's this, uh, I think, very well-documented trend called the leapfrog effect, where you have markets that were slower to adopt landline technology because of just infrastructure of building out landlines that went straight to mobile, or more, more ubiquitously went to mobile, And then what followed from that was mobile phone usage and smartphone usage before we got into mobile phones and smartphones in the United States and other mature markets. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, So you said something that really resonated with me. And if you saw me like looking away and making a note, it's because I've been feeling this thing recently, this idea of. You know, if we're going to change the world, I feel like it needs to come from the inside out. It needs to come from industry. It needs to come from entrepreneurs. It needs to come from the people, not the government. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm left or right. I just believe that like if if, if you say somebody's got to do something about this, the answer, like, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. like if, if it's going to, if change is going to happen, it's going to come from the people And I think that when you get, if you lean too much in government, then it it can be too slow for change to happen. And in a world where we're changing so fast, it's like, I mean, like, I think it's going to come from entrepreneurs being, I think you said entrepreneurs are the tools of international development Mm -hmm. and change. And that's what we're here to do is to to inspire people to change, right? Or at least what I'm here to do.
1: Well, that's why I was so moved by Endeavor's mission that Endeavor was a nonprofit, but one that was really setting out to help entrepreneurs for profit entrepreneurs who are making a positive impact that we're creating great jobs that we're creating great lives and that we're changing economies and endeavor has continued on i'm incredibly proud to be an alum of endeavor They just celebrated their i think 25 year anniversary this year maybe last year um amazing global impact right. all through helping entrepreneurs go to scale and yeah. entrepreneurs that don't just start but do not stop and go to scale they change the world
0: it's almost like they were the seeds of conscious capitalism i mean i, yeah. I don't know if that term was coined at this point in time, was it? I don't think
1: so. It wasn't on my radar at the time, uh, in 2003 and four and early five when I was at Endeavor. Um, but it is very much in that, that vein that, you know, people working in their own self-interest can change the world and create incredible positive impact for society. That right. is really what Endeavor has demonstrated.
0: Right. So when I say conscious
1: capitalism, what does that mean to you? Conscious capitalism, I, I see through the lens of something that in our industry I've heard called enlightened hospitality. And I, I think about it through that lens because this is the lens that I've been trained to think in through another board member of mine. That's Danny Meyer. Um, Danny Meyer from Union Square Hospitality Group, founder of Shake Shack, author yeah, of Setting familiar. the Table. <laughs> um, I, I think those are, are you know close cousins, conscious capitalism, enlightened hospitality. The way that I think about it is a stack ranking of stakeholders and one in which you as the leader put, and as the organization, you put your team first, and you realize that if you treat your team well, your team will then treat your customers well, and then your partners and your community, and ultimately that is the right stack ranking to most benefit your investors, whereas in most companies, you think about putting the investors first. Um, I think Companies that are long-term oriented that want to align their stakeholders in the interest of all of their stakeholders and for a lasting proposition for all stakeholders tend to rank their stakeholders in that way, where it's team, customers, partners, community, and then investors in that order. And that's a virtuous cycle. That yeah. They all take care of one another. Yeah.
0: Uh, just recently had Matt Pepsil on the show, uh, the, the president of Predictive Index, mm-hmm. and he authored a book. um the full title of the book is escaping me, but it's, I'm pretty sure it's in the title somewhere. It's this idea of enlightened leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to kind of build off of what you just shared, I love his, I think all this starts with the person, like it starts with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you can't lift up your team, your, 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 your business, your community, your, your, you know, your guests, your everybody else until like you lift yourself up. Cause you got to pull up. Right. And um, I mean, that's what we're here today today to do is to learn from you, to, to get inspired by you. And hopefully this information that you give us today will lift us up so we can lift up those around us. Right. And uh, I love that, this whole mentality. So, I mean, we're getting close to, I mean, we're only two years away in your timeline from when you you break off and you go and you start mm-hmm. uh go mo go mobo.com yes. um but are we skipping over anything is there any is there a a a, a pivotal point a, a triggering point for you in a den a, a den wow endeavor say that for me one more time and then why endeavor. can i say this word endeavor endeavor thank you very much is there a point that like is worth bringing to the story before we move on
1: I'm going to tie that to something I want to add on to what you just said about conscious capitalism. If I could intervene with conscious capitalism or enlightened hospitality, it's exactly what you just said. I would come even further in and I would I would end with the self and thinking of the self and how to be in a solid foundation as oneself. I would then go to the family and it's part of Olo's Mantra of family first. That is our number one value. It has been for over a decade now since we first wrote down our values. And I think we lived that even before officially writing it down. But I really think about self and then family and then team. And then we get into the rest of the stakeholders. All of these things need to be in balance and in harmony if you're going to stick with something that really is a calling and make it for the long term. And I think this ties to Endeavor because the name Endeavor. Is from a Henry David Thoreau quote, if I recall correctly. And that is, I know of no more encouraging fact than man's ability to elevate his own life through conscious endeavor. Mm. And so it it does tie back to all these things that we've been talking about already about, you know, working in one's own self interest, working with passion and, and in one's interest to improve their own circumstances. You can have great social impact and you can elevate all of humanity.
0: Right. And I think now is such an exciting time because we're more collectively conscious than ever before. Information's flowing. People who have these ideas and thoughts are influencing. And I think at the end of the day, people are hardwired to do the right thing. There's always just been a disconnect on what the right thing was. Mm -hmm. But as we get access to data and information, it's becoming really clear what the right thing is. And it's all everything we just talked about, lift, like transforming yourself so you can transform the, those closest to you, starting with your family and then your closest team members and out, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome
0: stuff. So at what point are you saying to yourself, like, you know, you, you want to be an entrepreneur because you, you see this ability to, to use tools for international development. Like when is, like, where does the idea for what was then Go Mo, bro,
1: GoMoBo.com yeah. What? How did this spur out? So it started when I first moved to New York City, which was almost exactly 20 years ago. Okay. Before that, after graduating from Yale, I did a bicycle trip uh, across the country from New Haven, Connecticut to the Golden Gate Bridge Ooh. in California. A lot of lessons learned from that trip. But one of the things that I kept thinking about and marinating on was mobile phones, mobile phones. People are using feature phones at the time, the clamshell phones to send text messages. Collap. Yes. <laughs> you, you remember those well. There's something there. They're going to be more powerful, ever more powerful. I was thinking about things like Moore's Law, that these things are going to become you know, twice as powerful every year sort of thing. And when they do, they're going to change the world. And I, when I first moved to New York City, moved to downtown, uh, the financial district. Uh, it was the the most affordable place to live on a nonprofit salary, which Endeavor was paying me. And I, I moved in with uh, roommates. And there was a building, a coffee shop, uh, downstairs in our building that was super, super busy during peak times. Which, of course, every coffee shop in the morning is busy. But this was... Everybody who is commuting to the financial district, getting out of the subway station and getting their coffee from this one coffee shop. And that was the one that was in my building. So I had this glimpse into peak ordering demand like I think no other. Um, And I thought there is a solution to this problem, peak ordering demand, the problem that 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 represents for the guest and for the coffee shop in the mobile phone. Because what we'd seen with e commerce was broadly, instead of serving one customer at a time, it enabled parallel processing, multiple customers to order, multiple orders to be filled, multiple orders to be shipped at the same time. And I thought if you could bring that superpower of parallel processing, the alternative being serial processing, where it's one at a time, if you could bring parallel processing to the restaurant or the coffee shop experience, through the mobile device where you could order and pay and have them prepare it asynchronously and have it ready when you arrive so you could then skip the line and not be gated by those in front of you that would be groundbreaking. It would be a win for everybody. You're saving time.
0: The the restaurant isn't having transactions bottleneck at the POS or whatever it was at that point. That's right. And like everyone wins. It's A, a win, win, win.
1: A win for the guest, a win for the throughput capacity of the restaurant. And I thought that is a big idea. And if I can see with conviction that we're all about to get powerful mobile devices, I have to plant the flag and create something here. So that business plan... I almost wrote exactly twenty years ago wow. today. Talk about foresight, man! Yeah, it was uh, it was something that I just couldn't shake. I, I had a bunch of entrepreneurial ideas. I, I found a, an antecedent in Shutterfly. You know, this consumer technology change that was going to reshape an industry. In that case, it was the digital cameras reshaping photo printing. Right. In this case, it was mobile technology reshaping restaurant ordering and payment and production. And I just couldn't shake this idea. So I wrote it down um, early, early on in 2003. And then Endeavor sent me to Johannesburg in 2004. And I just got even deeper in that conviction of, okay, these smartphones that are coming back to the US and already things that I'm seeing in markets like Johannesburg, South Africa, they're going to be really powerful. They're going to make a really pleasant experience in being able to build your order and place your order and pay for your order. And I want to be there when that happens. It's going to happen one time in human history. I have conviction that it's going to happen pretty imminently. I want to be there when it happens.
0: Is there any evidence of somebody else having this idea before you? Was it happening when you had this idea?
1: There were online ordering platforms. Um, There were companies, you know them, Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's, who had built online ordering because their business was really all about You order from your home computer and will deliver to you. There weren't examples of companies doing digital ordering, mobile ordering for takeout transactions. And takeout, pickup, food to go but not delivered was just a massive, much, much larger category and really could apply to every restaurant transaction, not just delivery transactions. I think that Olo, at the time, Mobo, was the first to really – bring about text message ordering. And that happened almost by accident. Um, We we started working as a nights and weekends project on what ultimately became MOBO. And we realized when I came back to New York, nobody has smartphones. It's like 5% of mobile phone users that are using smartphones. What's going to be available to basically demonstrate this order ahead, skip the line capability to people who still have those clamshell flip phones? Well, we've got to build this a stepping stone. We've got to do text yeah. message ordering. That yeah. is the rudimentary beginning of this whole thing. To start thing.
0: the habit of using this phone to, to get things done. and To that show guests evolve.
1: and to show restaurants yeah. so there's something to this idea. So yeah. MOBO meant mobile ordering. My wife came up with with that name. And that was really our intervention. And there wasn't anything like it at the time. And because of the novelty of that approach of send a text message to initiate an order and a payment for coffee, or a sandwich, not, you know, send a text message and get a ringtone or a game that right. that is something that was being done, but a real world, good hot food, or a hot beverage or an icy beverage that was unheard of.
0: Yeah. I'll be honest. I, that wasn't even on my radar until like 2020. If I'm being <laughs> honest, this idea of using test text message, SMS to order mm-hmm. and it started to explode because of the touchless scene. You know, like you'd want to go to a restaurant and sit at a table and, and be able to scan a QR code and like text uh, mm-hmm. an order. I didn't know that existing, honestly, before 2020. I'm kind of embarrassed with that. I never claimed to be the, the the tech guy. you know. That's why you're here, uh, for us to learn from you. But I think now is actually a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll talk about the evolution of what is now Olo, how it went from MoPro, sorry, Mobo to Olo. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley CEO of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the restaurant systems pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant restaurant. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. P. That's R-S-P for Restaurant Systems Pro, restaurantunstoppable.com slash R-S-P. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. There are a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with your diners enough and with the right message, or could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining area has room for? It can be a lot And very overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people. And that's why restaurants get pop menu pop menu is the restaurant technology designed to make growing your restaurant easy with pop menu you can attract more guests to your website that's designed to easily collect their contact info and data so you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you with pop menu you can also stay top of mind and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that drives new and repeat business and also pop menu lets you make all your systems. Systems Work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of restaurants' digital presence. Pop Menu technology for restaurants ready to grow. If you are a Restaurant Unstoppable listener, you can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at PopMenu.com slash Unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at PopMenu.com slash Unstoppable. We're back, and let's get into just the evolution of, of mobo and how it evolved into olo, and just like what what happened over the or to the industry over the past almost twenty years.
1: Yeah, a lot has happened over the past twenty years. Um, I, I guess let me start with it was mobo, now it's olo. What's that all about? Yeah. Um, so mobo mobile ordering was really our unique intervention to come in and do text message, and then later mobile web, and then later app based ordering. So that guests could use digital ordering, online ordering, not just for delivery, but also for to-go, pick-up, yep. take out, transactions. Yep. Um, that was really how we showed up on the scene. What was really lucky about doing something that was so novel as text message ordering for food in the media capital of the world, New York City, was that it got a lot of attention. It got a lot of attention literally in a September 20th, 2006 headline by the wall street journal about mobo about this new service where you could text message and get an order that then led to just a a snowball effect of other media the most significantly september 21st 2006 we were on the uh, good morning america show and david muir ordered a coffee at dunkin donuts through MoBo through text message and then brought it to Diane Roberts, uh, Robin Roberts and Diane Sawyer on air, and they talked about text messaging and doing it for coffee and the convenience of skipping the line, and that was just gold. You know, this, this little company, uh, I think at the time five employees or so getting that kind of media coverage, six million impressions of restaurant goers, of course, but also restaurant brands who heard about this said, that's cool. And some of them said, hey, I'm not based in New York City, but would you consider Mobo letting us use your technology in the markets that we serve? And one in particular was a, a brand called Muyah Burgers based out of Dallas, They said, this technology is so cool. Text message ordering gives us an edge right at the beginning of the better burger wars kind of brewing makes us look really high tech. We want to do this in the Dallas area. Will you let us? And that kind of got our thinking going of maybe the better way of going to market is not us going and trying to get consumers to sign up for MOBO or GoMobo.com. Maybe instead it's us giving our technology to restaurants and letting them then get their guests to use the software or use the application to a have a better experience, sort of yeah. like a loyalty program. Yeah, like, as a benefit be a of VIP. choosing them. Exactly. Yeah. You get to skip the line. It's the greatest VIP access that we can give you. All you have to do is create an account, no cost to use as a guest, and you can order ahead, pay ahead, get your burger, coffee, whatever it is faster. And the restaurant saw the benefit of that increased throughput capacity. and. To your point, making the guest then choose them for the convenience of that experience and sort of interrupting the guest's thought process where it wasn't just where are we going to go today, but it's, I'm going to go to Muya because if I place my order at Muya, I know it will be ready at one o'clock when I walk in. Exactly. Or 15 or 20. I mean, better burgers take a long time to cook. Right. And given the popularity, they take a long time to order. So we started working as an enterprise solution at that point. And we started really catering to enterprise brands that were fast growing brands and brands that were in that fast casual segment, because it was typical, it was typically a long wait to place an order and a long wait for the order that was made to order to get prepared. Better Mm -hmm. burger is a classic example. So five guys became one of our calling card customers really at the end of 2009. And at that point we thought MOBO as a name that doesn't really fit anymore We started using the term Olo. We had this little device that could be used if we didn't have an integration to a point of sale that could receive orders. And we called it the Olo, the online ordering device that gave us enough of a toehold in using that name to approach the owner of Olo.com, the domain name, and make an offer to acquire the name Olo.com. And that had been a term that those pizza players have been using for many, many years before that point, at least 10 years OLO standing for online ordering. It kind of dates the term because online was two different words at that point, sort of like America yep. Online, O L O. But we were able to uh, acquire that name, reestablish the company under that banner as the online ordering platform for restaurant brands. And we're the technology underneath that enabled the brand to create their own branded experience and let their guests have a faster experience to order ahead and collect the order at the store.
0: So I feel like from like a psychological branding standpoint, it's, it works better because it opens you up to more platforms. So basically, wherever yeah. you can access the internet, wherever you can get online, you can order. And that's really what you are today, is mm-hmm. like wherever you can interface with digital, there's an opportunity for a transaction there. It that's just, exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I am curious, what is the benefit of taking the... the creating what I think you call the enterprise solution versus creating a, let's call it like a consumer solution. Why, yes. why did you choose the enterprise solution route versus appealing to the consumer?
1: Uh, a couple of reasons. Um, I'll try to make it simple. We were spending $15 on average per guest to get them to sign up for an account with MOBO. It's
0: not easy to change consumer habit.
1: It's not. <laughs> it takes street teams, yeah. it takes giveaways, it takes, you know, coupons and promos per guest. And we were getting about 10,000 guests to sign up every month. That's still pretty impressive. Yeah, 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 it was good. It was $150,000 when you do the math of marketing spend and then, you know, dividing that by 10,000 guests, $15, 2008, 2009 recession hit. And we just thought we need to do whatever we can to extend our runway. And the $150,000 that we're burning to get those guests The problem is we don't know that we're going to get $15 worth of revenue, hold the side profit. We don't know that we're going to get $15 of revenue out of these guests. In e-commerce parlance, that is uh, customer acquisition cost, $15, it's CAC, and LTV, lifetime value. And we were not sure that the lifetime value was greater than the customer acquisition cost. You can burn through a lot of money very fast if those two numbers aren't right. right. And we were not. Confident. And what we saw was when we had brands doing that work of acquiring the guests because it was their guests, they wanted on the platform, the CAC went to zero because we weren't in the business of acquiring the guests. The restaurant was acquiring their own customer into a digital relationship and that was in their interest and still is. And I'll come back to that. But then our lifetime value was kind of all gravy for us because anything that guest spent over time was accruing to the benefit of Olo. So that model of being direct-to-consumer in Mobo or B2B, business-to-business in Olo made all the difference.
0: So early on, how are you generating revenue? Was it the, the fee that you were charging the restaurant to use your services or, or were you getting a piece of the transaction?
1: Yeah. Early on in that direct to consumer model, we were charging what was effectively a 10% commission on every order that we brought in.
0: Were you, were you involved with, the, with the, the processing or was it just a tax on fee?
1: Um, we were involved in the processing in the MOBO days. So okay. it, that was inclusive inclusive of credit card processing. So let's say 2.5% for easy math. It was like a 7.5% upcharge for the we MOBO are driving this guest to come back more frequently. We had, we had really good data to show that, that these guests were more loyal, they were coming back more frequently, and that they were spending more when they were ordering through the digital channels. But it made all the difference to shift our model. When we made that transition from MOBO to OLO, from B2C to B2B, and instead make it a subscription fee and really embrace what was an emerging trend at the time: software as a service, to say, hey, restaurant brand, you don't have to spend money up front building this thing. You don't have to spend money maintaining this thing. We've done that work. We can sell you a license on a per store per month basis. On basically an all-you-can-eat plan yeah. to get your guests ordering in this way.
0: Yeah, you really leveled the playing field. You made yes. it. I mean, like you mentioned, the 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 Domino's and the Pizza Huts and the Papa Johns of the world were kind of first to market being able to do this. Not everybody has Domino's budget no. to build out this technology. But when you make it your focus to to fix one problem and then to make that solution available to the masses, it. it it, it's such a benefits the industry. So
1: that's right. I, and I would add on, it's not just the upfront cost. This is a, a common fallacy in this and every industry that the choice to build versus buy is not a one-time choice. If you are building and you have then built your own online ordering platform you have to support that over time. Yeah, because the, the maintenance is brutally expensive. What
0: do they say? If you're not growing, you're dying? Yes. And can you afford to keep that fresh and to keep it evolving with the, at the rate that technology is
1: evolving? Probably not. And, and we, to keep it high performance and to keep it secure... And to keep it reliable. Yeah. These are really tall orders when you're doing millions of transactions every day across a right. platform. This is
0: why I, I tell my listeners to go with a, a tool like Bento Box or Pop Menu because, mm-hmm. like, hey, you might pay that one time development fee, a few thousand dollars, but in two years, you're gonna have to pay another 5,000 or whatever to get the facelift and to update your technology. Whereas if you have a, a service that you just pay a monthly fee to, it, you can budget it, and you know that over time, that is not that's just taken care of. As yep. as the world evolves, these platforms evolve with the world, and you have best in class.
1: Great, great examples yep. of, of other companies that have adopted that software as a service model. So yep. that was a big evolution. circa 2010 was moving to that model. I'd say what really changed from 2010 to 2013, which was also a big inflection point for us as a company, was that vision that i had that we were all going to get smartphones actually came to fruition so we had uh, iphone launch and then become commercially available android launch and then you saw apps like uber that just totally shaped how people thought about what this thing can do uber i think is a great example of when you say
0: this thing what do you mean The smartphone. Okay. The smartphone. So So
1: the smartphone is not just a phone at that point. You see the smartphone as a remote control for the world around you. And Uber brought that into the popular understanding. So you bring that together. Everybody had these devices and knew how powerful they were. And then restaurant operators, executives saw, huh, maybe there's an opportunity for me to use the power of the smartphone to reshape my business now we were at a point where it was open season. Everybody wanted an app. Everybody wanted an online ordering website. And we were off to the races building up our sales force and really going to market to all of those enterprise chains who didn't have the capability to build in-house but wanted to have those benefits of a platform like Olo to make their guest experience better and to make their restaurants run better.
0: Can you timestamp us? How, how far into Olo are we at this point? What's the year?
1: So at this point, it is specifically August of 2012. Wow. It's very specific. <laughs> it's very specific, but I remember it because... Seven was, years in. Uh, seven years in. And I remember that we were about to hire Olo employee number 13, And that Olo employee number thirteen, Matt Tucker, our COO, who served from 2000, uh, actually sorry, 2013, eight years in, um, who served as our our COO for then eight years after, um, brought with him two other executives, Marty Honfeld and Scott Lamb, to serve as our vice president of sales initially in Marty's case, and vice president of customer success in Scott's case. This was it is time to go and sell. There is huge buying demand out there. We as a company don't have the capacity to supply all that demand. And so we need to bring the sales force and we need to grow the team to supply all the demand that's out there. you
0: got to build the house while really the iron is hot. This is a huge lesson that, we, that It transfers directly to the restaurant industry too. Right around like the eight restaurant mark if we're trying to scale a restaurant, like uh, the way a 20 restaurant Look or twenty location restaurant functions versus a eight restaurant location or eight location. Wow, I can't. I'm struggling with the words today. But like, there's a shift that happens where the whole business you have to build the house before you you move into it, right? And that's kind of sounds like what you're doing is like before we take on all this responsibility, we got to build. We got to put the people in place. We got to build the infrastructure first so we can have something to move into.
1: Yeah, there's. I mean, in technology, there is a an inflection point that every company hopefully reaches, which is product market fit. And that was absolutely what happened. We'd had this product. We were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then the market just hit. And we could feel it in 2013 that it was going to be open season. And if we weren't there after having stuck it out for so long to build this over eight years, it would have just been a waste. So was it
0: to say at this time, 2013 forward for a few years, your primary focus was developing apps?
1: Yes, developing apps and developing an API which enabled others to develop apps on top of our technology and integrating into point-of-sale systems.
0: So what do you mean by other? Like, give me an example of another technology that would be built on yours.
1: So there might be a a restaurant brand that had its own creative agency. I'll give you the example of uh, Sweetgreen. Sweetgreen built a beautiful app on top of the Olo API They had an agency build that. They had the agency build on top of our core functionality, but also do really differentiated things. One thing that was really important to sweet green guests was product sourcing, ingredient sourcing, knowing at that location, what farm did they source the cilantro from and being able to click on that and see what farm it was sourced from. So
0: things that were important to them and their brand, but weren't universally important That's to right. all brands at that time, we need a way to showcase this unique selling proposition.
1: That's right. So enabling brands to use Olo as kind of that core engine yeah. that they're building on top of. So they don't have to rebuild that engine, but so that they can do additional things on top of building it. Building
0: an accessory like a turbo charger.
1: You got, you got Yeah. Interesting.
0: Um, so, oh, you said something that really interests. So there was, I think I, I remember this time specifically it was around, I, I want to say it was like 2015 and I was at the trade shows and the, all the talk was everybody was saying you, like the futures apps, you need apps. Every restaurant needs an app. And then it was around 2017, 18 where dynamic websites really started to evolve. That's right. And then I was like, do we still really need these apps or is it enough just to have a, a robust, uh, interface, a, a web browser interface that could do with just as much as an app. Like did your world get kinda of get shook at that point when the when the, the web browser game kinda of started to meet the robust capabilities of these apps?
1: This is like one of the classic debates in the industry. I can't tell you how many panels I've sat on that have been like to <laughs> app so you, or not to
0: app. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but but the answer, the answer is twenty fifteen, no. it was it was app. But the answer or, is yeah. no,
1: because of that move from being a point solution MOBO into being the broader OLO, digital ordering of all stripes. So yeah mobile ordering, online ordering. If you wanna order from an in-car dashboard, we could do that. If you wanna order from a kiosk, we could do that. If you wanna order through the phone that goes into a call center application, we can do that because now we're the digital ordering platform that has effectively taken your ordering outside of the four walls of the restaurant through digital and enabling any interface to connect into it. So whether it was mobile web or mobile app or web ordering or any of these other things, Olo was that solution that could be the guest centric ordering platform one-stop and shop. payment platform. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So you, I want to make sure I understand. So did you just tell me basically that you went to go focusing on, on being a one-stop shop? Because you're not a website producer, right? We do. Yeah, do? We, oh, we'll, I, produce, yeah we'll produce
1: okay. online ordering in the traditional sense of web-based ordering.
0: Okay. Kind of just regurgitate what you, you share with me. I want to make sure I fully absorbed it. Yeah. So... What is the big takeaway?
1: The big takeaway is that digital ordering was going to happen across all sorts of different interfaces, all sorts of different devices. The common variable being an order that is originating from somewhere other than the point of sale, but an order that's then being injected into the point of sale, enabling that kind of transaction of order ahead, pay ahead, get your food faster when you arrive. So that could be web, it could be mobile web, it could be app, it could be voice ordering could be ai assistant it could be in-car dashboard it could be a kiosk inside the restaurant
0: part of the narrative back in 2015 like it was like the, the the voice ordering i mean was siri around back in 2015 has it been that long
1: I don't think Siri was around at the time, the but Echo wasn't uh, but, around. But, but Amazon was. voice ordering before it was an AI voice assistant was literally calling into a restaurant and speaking to a human. Oh yeah, who would put the <laughs> order in? And what our initial voice ordering was was calling into what felt like the restaurant, but actually was a call center that could see the number that you'd called and pull up the menu for that restaurant and see your caller ID and pull up your profile and then be able to have a conversation with you, saying, "Hey, Eric, do you want to order what you got last time?" as if they were inside that restaurant with a very smart database around you, the guest. Okay. So it sounds like the
0: argument, if we're going back to to app or not to app, right? We're not talking about appetizers. We're talking about applications. Um, Your answer to that was to app.
1: Uh, perhaps the answer. Yeah. My answer to that was yes to all of the above. It's not sufficient. It's necessary, but not sufficient to have an app. You need to meet the guest where they are. If that means having a call center, if that means yeah. where your your guests are comfortable ordering takeout is by calling into your restaurant, you need a call center application. And we provided that we have an interface called switchboard that enables that if your guests were on mobile devices and they really wanted that, convenience of being able to open up the app and already be in a logged in state and already have a card on file and already have their favorite orders on files so they could easily reorder in a matter of clicks. Yeah. You need an app for that. So mobile web couldn't do it.
0: It's safe to say 2013 to like 2017, like this four year period that you were, Olo was trying to be an omnidirectional ordering platform. No yes. matter where you are, there's a path of least resistance to a purchase.
1: That's um, right. And that's where our API strategy, not just us building apps, but saying, and if you want third parties to build other applications, I gave the sweet green example, but if you want an in-car dashboard company who is building an interface for a BMW to write to our API so that somebody can order from their BMW and send it into your point of sale, we can enable that too because we have an API, we have an open philosophy, and you can have any partner coming right to that API and get the support they need to make a first-class interface.
0: So we're um, now I'm just, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves as to far. I mean, maybe we are kind of getting at that point of where are we today, right? That's what we wanted to talk about. So if I'm listening to this and I'm like, I've been wanting to be able to get my app on the, what do they call it? The, 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 the car display, the iOS car display. What is yeah. that? There's a name Carplay. for it. CarPlay. CarPlay. Um, is that an option for most
1: restaurants today? Um, I have heard of different developers that we work with doing it on specific uh, car manufacturers. I like believe like a Ford GM is one, yeah. and so a lot of different car brands under that. Uh, BMW is one of those first partners that did some piloting of the ability to order from that in-car interface. And I do believe that you can use CarPlay, although I, don't, I, I can't name who the developer is who's built that or what restaurants they built it for, but Yeah, look, that's a digital interface. That is a use case that makes sense. Somebody's in their car. They want to have a fast way of being able to order and pay and have it ready when they get there for curbside pickup, for pickup at the drive-through. Letting them do that through their in-car dashboard just makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So
0: is Olo a, a tool that is primarily for larger corporations or is it accessible to the smaller operations as well?
1: We focus on any restaurant brand that has five or more locations in terms of our outbound sales efforts. Now, we have restaurants that are smaller restaurants that reach out to us all of the time inbound, and we'll serve those restaurants as well. But really, our, our focus has been enterprise restaurants. We consider that 100-plus or, what we call emerging enterprise, the sweet greens of tomorrow, the shake shacks of tomorrow, the five to 99 unit that's, restaurants.
0: That's turning into my sweet spot target, like guest for the record. Yeah. If, like it's those people who are going through that change now yep. that I think are the most relative because we live in a world. If I were to intergr- interview the sweet green CEO, I have, um, I don't know if the, the CEO, I her name, oh, her name's escaping me right now. Do you know what I'm talking You must Of Sweetgreen? Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Neiman? It was a female, wasn't it? I think she might have taken over Jonathan's. I don't know. COO, perhaps. Maybe. Uh, Yeah. Karen
1: Klein at some point was uh, was I talked to too many people, man. Sorry to keep everybody Thousands. You're unstoppable.
0: Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, But I mean, if point being, Sweetgreen went through it like 10 years ago right scaling beyond five locations it was about that long ago mm-hmm. to correct me if i'm wrong i can't get the dates exact but the world has changed a lot since mm-hmm. then and the best way to do that today isn't this the, the same as it was five years ago so in a world where we're constantly evolving like to, to push the, the 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 boulder over the edge to get to that 10 restaurant location is constantly changing mm-hmm. so i i love your target market is my target market as well, as far as guests goes. It's very, yeah. it's a very exciting time. A totally exciting. Yeah. Totally
1: exciting. In terms of, uh, the culinary it's exciting and the kinds of foods that they're serving in terms of the way in which they're growing in How terms to of what it, it takes. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, it is an amazing time to be working in this industry. Right.
0: right. So, Where is Olo today? Paint the picture of what Olo looks like today. I took some notes, but I want to hear it from you.
1: Yeah, so to to take it a little bit further, what happened in 2015 and 16 was the delivery revolution. It was all of a sudden there were all of these marketplaces that came into being not just Grubhub, but DoorDash and Uber Eats. And all of a sudden restaurants found themselves in a very familiar position that other industries had gone through, hotels, airlines, of a guest could order from me directly from my app, from my website, or a guest may order from a third-party website. It could be DoorDash. It could be Uber Eats. It could be Grubhub, Seamless. It's probably going to be all of those places where I want to be able to receive orders. And most restaurants didn't have the ability to match the functionality, in, that, in this case, delivery, that was being offered by those third parties. They did not have their own delivery capacity. And so one of the things that Olo did in 2005 was to uh, th- sorry 2015 was to come out with a product called Dispatch. And Dispatch was delivery as a utility, the ability for a restaurant to take an order and then match a delivery driver to collect that order and deliver it to the guest on behalf of the restaurant. So the difference between that and an order originating from a DoorDash or Uber Eats or Grubhub or any of the other marketplaces was that the restaurant forged that direct relationship with the guest and the guest ordered directly from the restaurant. Yeah.
0: So this was the big around the post-pandemic of this mass movement towards digital ordering and takeout and delivery where you became dependent on these third parties and they're absorbing a lot of the profit or taking a cut or whatever. The the, the conversation was you know, get them to order from your, your own platform. Yes. To migrate people from third party to, um, your own, uh, what's the word native platform. Right. Yep. So is that kind of what you're talking about? Is yes. It,
1: but okay. we came to market with that message in 2015, we okay. were saying a war is brewing a yeah. battle between indirect channels and direct channels. Like, do I book a ticket from Expedia or, or, uh, Priceline or do I do it through American airlines? Do I book through, Expedia or Priceline, or do I book directly through Marriott? This is a war that had been brewing in the online travel space for many, many years, probably 15 years before it hit this industry. But with the rise of DoorDash and Uber Eats and Grubhub, all of a sudden restaurants were in the same place. And the importance of having your own platform and getting guests to preference ordering direct from you instead of third parties meant that the economics would work for you, and that you would get that data about the guest. Right. Because if they orders from a third party, 20 30% commissions and no data about that guest. You're buying a transaction. You're not getting an actual guest at your yeah. restaurant.
0: And then the, the argument becomes, well, we're marketing your business. Yeah. Um, and
1: there's a place for that. Yeah. Uh, these are great partners of ours. We have another module of the Olo platform that... Syndicates the menu content out to those third party marketplaces. And when orders originate from DoorDash and Uber Eats and Grubhub, they come through our platform directly into the point of sale. Got it. It's an important part of the business, it's an important part of the ecosystem. There are guests that you want to reach that are only accessible to you through those platforms. But to the extent that you could wave a magic wand as a restaurant brand, you want as many guests ordering directly from you and your digital properties as possible. And you want to build that database of guests. So you can market. And on a guest segments. basis, you want to build the database of transactions in that transaction history so that you can better understand that guest. What does Eric like? What does Eric always remove from the standard preparation of this dish? And what does that say about Eric? Yeah. What what might we want to Show Eric in an email to say, hey, maybe you'd like this other dish because we know that a high percentage of other guests just like you who removed that thing also love this thing and you've never tried it. I mean,
0: there's a lot of different ways to define hospitality, warmth, generosity, conviviality. like the list goes on and on. But it's also the ability to predict needs. Yes. And to be ahead of guests' needs and to give it and deliver it before it's ever asked. So what, it seems like magic when it shows up on the table and you're like, how did you know I wanted that? Yeah. And that's what data does. 100%. Data gives you the predictability and understanding your guests and their needs before they even realize they need it. And that's service, that's hospitality. So, and that's what the, the world we're moving into with so many digital electronic touch points, we're able to connect to collect data like on before. This is also a side note why we need to be really careful about who we're playing with online as far as mm-hmm. the as consumers, just not to get down a, a tangential rabbit hole, but like be careful who you give your data to because they're gonna use that data to manipulate you. Yeah. Side note. Yeah. Just we don't need to go there. But it's I don't think the consumer realizes how important or the not even the consumer, but the business owner realizes how important that data is and how what you can do
1: with it data is power yeah. and the kind of data that you or that restaurant delivery marketplaces are able to pull about a guest is a superpower yeah. and those that understand it are the winners and yeah. those that do not understand this are going to be the losers I, in this space
0: yeah, i guarantee you there's somebody out there that's killing it. you're supposed to pluralize data aren't you like i always screw it up and i people somebody's going to send me a message <laughs> you're saying it wrong I'm sorry, I'm give me a break. I never was great at this stuff as far as the technology goes, but is it datas or data data datas it's supposed data to data, it's data is to plural, I believe is it? Yes, All right. thank you very much <laughs> so um okay, so one thing I am kind of curious about um, we we're talking earlier, so what you when you came on, the idea it wasn't just to help empower guests by having them order directly from the the platform, migrating people to your platform. I also saw on your website that you had some kind of like best practices on how to migrate. There's a, I, I I almost read that before coming to this, but I didn't want to get too far into a rabbit hole with that. But you're also providing the framework, the infrastructure of delivery, because that's what you The restaurant tour
1: was missing. That's what they were still dependent on the third party. You got it. So now since 2015, restaurants have been able to say, we can deliver to you, Eric, order from our website. We will take your order, find a delivery courier to collect it just in time, and then take it point to point from the restaurant to you. So what does that look like? How
0: did you build this infrastructure, this network of delivery drivers? So the other
1: side of it is the, the DSP network. And in our parlance, DSP is delivery service provider. It is companies that are in the business of doing point-to-point delivery, collecting orders at the restaurant, and delivering them to the guest. And so some of these are familiar names because they also serve as marketplaces. Uber does this. DoorDash does this. But some of them are companies you've probably never heard of, like Relay, that are behind the scenes serving this role for restaurants. Are they out
0: of Texas, San Antonio?
1: Relay is here. Um, There's a company called Favor, which you may be thinking of, um, that that does this as well. And they're they're Texas-based. But there are also companies like Carolina Courier Collective. They're just last-mile delivery. They do last-mile delivery. That's right. And so they stitched together into – the dispatch network have become a nationwide network that can provide delivery as a service for restaurants.
0: So part of what you're getting when you would go to a third party is access to the network of drivers that they created, right? Yes. And that's kind of what you were dependent on, but you were able to stitch together by crowdsourcing uh, last mile logistic or companies from all over that can just kind of like yeah. bid for like the, That's the delivery. Is that what's
1: happening? That's it. So all of those companies want to keep all those companies that have a driver network want to keep those drivers happy. This goes back to my pizza delivery routes. the way to keep a pizza delivery driver or a delivery driver in general, circle, happy: man. more orders, <laughs> more tips, yeah. because tips are so important. So enabling that driver to get orders that originate from your marketplace, call it the ubereats.com and also orders that originate from the restaurant's website means you're able to play in a larger pool. You're able to get orders from more order sources. And so we were able to cut deals with these delivery service provider companies or those that were delivery service providers and also marketplaces to create that network and to fill that need where all of a sudden now restaurants who never offered delivery before can offer high-quality delivery directly to their guests and keep that guest ordering directly from the restaurant.
0: So when we're looking at your, I think what we're talking about is what you call dispatch, yes. which is the uh, integration of the, the the empowering guests to order direct, uh, the nationwide delivery coverage. Uh, it puts restaurants in control. I don't know if we got into what you mean
1: by that, but- Putting restaurants in control means that they are the ones taking the order and they are the ones who are retaining the guest relationship and the guest data. Got it.
0: And then what do you mean by seamless onboarding? How does how does dispatch what what do you mean
1: by that? Seamless onboarding just means that a restaurant doesn't have to go and sign on relationships with different delivery providers. They can benefit from the fact that there's already a network of delivery service providers that are working with Olo and delivering for other restaurants that can all of a sudden start working with that restaurant. So like onboarding the consumer? Onboarding to delivery functionality. Got it. Got
0: it. So if, if if you guys are wondering, I never remember Noah saying seamless onboarding. It's because I'm looking at the Olo website right now under dispatch. Nice. Uh, all the different services you have. And uh, I was hoping to go over. So like if we're looking at what is Olo today, you, it looks yeah. like you categorize it into three main pillars. Order, pay, engage. Yes. And right now we're talking about the ordering I think we covered ordering in general pretty well. Um, Is there anything under the idea of ordering that we haven't talked about? I
1: don't think so. uh, The three main products in ordering are the ordering platform itself, the ability for a guest to order through your website, your app, your mobile website, et cetera. QR code ordering at the table. That's all bucketed under ordering. Then you have dispatch, which is delivery through your own direct channels. And then you have rails, which is the syndication out to those third-party marketplaces. So in that case... The guest is not ordering from your website. The guest is ordering from DoorDash, or they're ordering from Uber Eats, or they're ordering from Grubhub. And the order is coming into your point-of-sale system because of the behind-the-scenes work that we're so doing to aggregate the this orders. This makes it
0: two-way, though. Yes. And that's huge, because this is where a lot of people... So we had uh, Prakash, Karam Chandani, Chandani, sorry, Prakash Karam Chandani on the show, and he's with... Um, Bounce Grill out of Toledo, Ohio. They're, they're scaling like crazy right now. It's a really interesting organization. Uh, and he was talking about the future of online ordering. He's like, what's important? He's like, we're not purchasing technological um, decision-making or like tools based off of where the industry is now. We're basing it off of where we're going to be in three or four or five years. Mm-hmm. And the big point, he said, is we're looking at companies that can handle bidirectional API or tokenize, tokenized payments and, and modifying um, app plays to orders so that what we're talking right now when we get into what we're calling the rails is being able to have a two-way street right now yep or i don't correct me if i'm wrong you, it's really hard if you, if you get an order from a third party say uber eats comes into your pos you can't modify that order and send money back or like increase a chart or like whatever it's just one way it's it's is that safe to say or um, we read there, but it's not really widely adopted yet.
1: So I would say that the the key um, need that w- that Rails was coming to market to service was the fact that restaurants had a different tablet for every marketplace. Yeah. And I it was can't just stand chaos. Being at a
0: restaurant and you just hear that audible right. dong go off as a consumer. It's so annoying.
1: So there needed to be like a traffic cop that sat in between all these different demand channels, orders from your direct site, orders from these third-party marketplaces, and the kitchen. And that's the role that Rails plays. And the other way, the bi-directional part, is you make a modification to the menu. Oh, we're 86ing cheeseburgers. I'm making that up. It shuts it off everywhere yeah. in one fell swoop. Instead of just saying, oh, man, I just got another three orders in from this other channel, and their menu's out of date. They sent cheeseburg orders. Now i got to call right. that guest and figure something out. Right it's not even an option there because it's subscribing and it's publish and subscribe model, pub sub model. You're making the change in one place on the Olo platform and it's being syndicated out to all of those different channels where a guest may be ordering from those you control and those you don't control that are third party.
0: So traditionally this information flowed one way. It came from third party and flowed into the restaurant. Yep. But there were issues where now you need information to really have this thing work the way it can information flowing
1: both ways. Yeah. I mean, especially about automating that. So if you yes. change it
0: in one place, you're not needing to go open 10 apps at once to make right. sure right. the message is flowing.
1: And capacity is the next big, you know, uh, arena for this is I only have so much kitchen capacity in, in any moment in time. And I want to allocate that capacity to my most profitable channels. One of the mantras at Olo is keep the kitchen as productive as possible as profitable as possible you want that kitchen to be at peak capacity through those demand channels that are most profitable if you're keeping hundred percent of the profit if the order is coming direct and you're keeping i don't know eighty percent of the profit if the order is coming through a third-party marketplace it would be crazy to prioritize the third-party marketplace over those direct channel orders where you're getting more profit and that direct relationship with the guest so that kind of battle for the guest of is the guest a direct guest or is it an indirect transaction through a marketplace is one of those key kind of industry themes was, that dispatch yeah. and rails are, are. I was sitting serving. on this
0: this earlier and I was afraid to get into it too soon, but I feel like you're kind of circling around it right now. And this idea that a lot of um, the services of software, these services that are app based services, um, I can't remember the specific tool, but they're. It's based off of human behavior and really understanding human behavior and almost becoming manipulative of be, be human behavior and creating using like the hooks and and um, you know human habit to create a path of least resistance to a, a decision. And um, when you are giving up the data, data, mm-hmm. you got you're it. Giving up the data, just, just go with the flow, man. Uh, you don't get access to that human behavior that helps you create a more. I yeah. guess manipulative product that makes people choose your direct, yeah, like like the the
1: native purchasing order versus the third party. I so, don't I don't love the word manipulative. Well, I mean, but but I do. I what you mean? I as I interpret it is. it is how do you influence behavior? And you influence behavior, or said another way, you provide hospitality. You anticipate right. needs based on understanding in a comprehensive way well, who I, that guest is, but you don't get that data unless the guest is ordering direct. In it. fact, you're blocked from that data. The marketplace is all of them. I'm not, I'm not calling anyone out. All of them do not share the data that this was Eric's order. And here's what Eric's ordered in the past.
0: Yeah. So to that point, what I'm trying to say is it's that data that allows us to create a better app to more seamlessly yes. serve the guest. Yes. So how, so I, I don't know if this is, too tangential tangential to what we were just discussing, but this idea that like, how are we supposed to compete with the third parties when we don't have access to the information to make a better service? Right. Yes. So like it's, it's to the point where like the, the, the third parties almost control the, the consumer habits mm-hmm. and then how do you fight against and create a better solution if you don't have access to the, the
1: data? The great thing is that you look to the hotel industry And the travel industry who have gone through the exact same war 15 years earlier. And you look at what are the strategies that they deployed, the brands deployed to get hotel guests to book direct and airline guests to book direct. And it comes back to understanding who the guest is, guaranteeing a lowest price guarantee. It's more affordable for you if you order directly through me than if you go through a third party, giving them status. And giving them the ability to get into a higher tier of status, you get to skip the line is a great one that, of yeah. course, is near and dear to my heart. But that's very much like a VIP program. If you're you know, flying American Airlines Executive Platinum, you get to skip the line, right? You get on the, the plane first. You get right. your bags on the plane first. You don't get that if you're ordering your ticket through Travelocity or Priceline or Expedia. You get that by booking your ticket direct. So. Yeah the the analogs for restaurants to say you're going to get the best prices you're going to get the full menu maybe not the subset of my menu that I put up on the marketplaces but my full menu you can customize this exactly the way that you like it you're going to earn loyalty points you're going to earn status where you get these ups and extras of benefits experiential benefits that only those who are part of our our brand program get those are the things that are so great can, tactics you control
0: the the experiences that you you recognize the experiences you do have control over and you use those to your favor to pull people in, to get that
1: top tier experience. And you build a profile on every guest to understand who your most valuable guests are. This is back to lifetime value. Who the high lifetime value guests are. That is why our very first acquisition as a public company, when we had gone public and raised the capital through going public to start to acquire other companies other technologies the very first company that we bought was a company called wisely which was what we believe to be the leading guest data platform
0: yeah i remember this company i was really excited about they were neck and neck with um the company out of providence rhode island um they're now swipe they were swipely okay i I can't keep track of everything it's always changing there are a lot of there are a lot of restaurant tech companies out there yeah yeah i think switely they're uh they're
1: I can't keep track of everything,
0: but yeah, they were definitely. I actually had that. what was the owner's name Do
2: you remember? of of wisely? Yeah, uh,
1: Mike Vichek was the one of the three co founders, and uh, and Tyler Faluse and uh, and then Josh as well. Okay, uh, the three Mike, I Tyler, and Josh.
0: There was somebody there that I, I I think I had them on the show. It's so again, we're over a thousand episodes on. It's hard to keep everybody in order. But uh, what we're getting now into is engage.
2: Correct yes. me if I'm wrong. That's
0: it. Um, we kind of, I mean, is it worth just kind of. Touching on payment, I think yeah when I hear payment, we're talking about more like like security, right?
1: Well, payment Olopay is about a native payment platform within the ordering experience. And without going into what it used to look like before Olo Pay, what Olo Pay enables for the guest is the ability to store a card on file, to use Apple Pay, to use Google Wallet, to use these mobile wallets to pay faster and enables the guest to save those payment credentials at the Olo platform level through a feature called Borderless. And why that's relevant is we now have 77,000 restaurants on our platform across 600 brands. We have many guests who are using Olo But don't know they're using OLO at multiple brands. Yeah,
0: yeah, because the when you, as a restaurant, purchase OLO services, it's it's brand white label. Yeah, you would never know.
1: But so now, as a guest, you can keep a card on file with OLO. So you go to the next restaurant, and your card is magically there, securely there. You've opted into it; it's secure. We have your car, uh, your card details, so that you don't have to go through the process of recreating an account, re-entering your card details but it's all magically there. And we took a lot of inspiration from what Shopify built with shop pay, integrating payments natively into the Shopify commerce platform.
0: I was laying in bed last night. It was I, I, I don't know why I was so excited to come here and talk to you. No, I couldn't get to sleep. It was like 2am and I I'm dealing with a lot of like, um, dietary, like, as I get older, my, like I can't eat the same way I used mm-hmm. to. So I'm like gluten intolerant now. And all <laughs> it sucks having a restaurant business podcast with this, these issues. but, I'm like, I'm, I'm on my phone downloading all these apps, like, like sweet green, like Kava all these restaurants that I know are around here that offer. And it was so seamless. Mm-hmm. And it's just cause I literally went through this. I was like, Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Like, cause I hate the process of downloading these apps and then having to like uh, upload your information. So I couldn't sleep last night. I figured I'd do all the work, but it was so easy. Yeah. I mean, do you work with both those brands? We work with work
1: sweet green. We, we don't work with Kava okay. Great brand. Uh, or I should say. I always say this, we don't work with Kava yet. I always say that to our sales team. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I'm desirous of working with Kava. So if if, uh, if the team, Brett, and, and team are listening, uh, we'd love to talk. But look, the idea is that guests do not like creating accounts. Guests this, this do not guest like passwords. <laughs> they don't like remembering passwords. Oh they gosh. don't. So what, what I even found, found myself doing was going on to a site that was powered by Olo, and I knew that. But I don't want to remember the password, so I wind up checking out anonymously. And shame on me as a guest. I have to re-enter the order from scratch. I have to re-enter my card details. But also shame on the brand because now they don't get that transaction tied back to my account. So they don't know who I am. They don't know that I'm that same guest who's ordered 20 times before. And that is a – talk about wins, win-wins. That's a loss-loss. It's a, Yeah bad guest experience, suboptimal, and a suboptimal restaurant operator experience because they don't get to tie that transaction back to my profile. So the idea of Borderless is do away with passwords. The guest is able to create an account linking their mobile device and their email together. So you get a like shop pay. You get a little challenge sent to your phone. You put in those digits to authenticate that you are you. And then you're into your account, store your card on file. Anytime that you're able to authenticate yourself, that card follows you around, not just at that brand, but across any brand that's using borderless for payment. So the, the Olo marketplace
0: is another way to kind of look at it or like, yeah, although there is family of
1: restaurants, but uh, there is no marketplace. Like there is no site that you can go to akin to a DoorDash or an Uber Eats or a Grubhub. The idea is just behind the scenes. We are the connective tissue behind all these brands and we're enabling them to have a, I think better experience than a marketplace experience because it's a branded experience, but you don't have to create the account every time that information about you is Given to the brand, once you place that order, the payment details are stored at the Olo platform level, and that just makes the experience of onboarding a guest so that they don't have to go through that extra friction. Right. And so that the restaurant can tie that transaction back to your profile. So
0: that, and you also, with the 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 category we're discussing right now is pay, mm-hmm. help it so you can, so you don't want to use the, um, I'm not sure the quite, the right term to use to talk about what you just described but you say if you want to use apple pay or google pay mm-hmm. you, pay also helps integrate with those as a, it does. an alternative solution to to create the versus a
1: credit card on file got sure it, you could just you could just pay with apple pay pay with google pay but the important thing is it links you not just to your payment it links you to order history it links you to favorite orders so i tend to get most people tend to get the same order again and again and again, or maybe two or three especially different dietary restrictions, especially with dietary restriction, you if a dietary restriction like and that. you want to customize your sweet green salad a certain way or whatever it is. So having to go through that process of redoing it every time is a pain right. And being able to be in a logged in state where you can one click reorder and have payment details on file and your customized version of yeah. that, uh, that, that dish it's literally three clicks It's great.
0: Tap the app, tap the order, Confirm payment. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And that's pretty powerful. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning in terms of pay, and I know you really want to get to the next level, which is, um, under the uh, the topic of uh, Jeep or engage, we're yeah. gonna get there. Okay, um, but I think it's important to bring up the topic of um, chargeback support because that's yeah.
1: a real issue, a real issue right now. Yeah, fraud and chargebacks are part of the huge pain for restaurants accepting online payment. And ever since we started supporting all the different credit card uh, processors that restaurants have in restaurant that were designed for in restaurant card swipes through an online gateway elevated fraud rates elevated chargeback rates and restaurants are just left high and dry by traditional processors they're being charged not just for uh the food that they that they sold but they're also being assessed a chargeback fee so it's just like insult to injury it's like hey you just lost 30 bucks you're never getting paid for that and we're going to charge you 25 bucks as a chargeback fee and fraud so many transactions would go through that were not genuine transactions. And the other side of fraud is uh, authentication. So what we've done with Olo Pay through our partnership with Stripe, our new partnership with AdGen, and what we're able to see across our network of 600 brands, 77,000 restaurants, and 85 million guests who order through Olo, we have a double filter at least on authentication and fraud. So we can find guests who are ordering and are authenticated at a higher rate and fraudulent at a much lower rate. And those are both less sexy perhaps than the login capabilities and all that stuff, but really important to the bottom line of restaurants who want to engage in digital ordering and do so in a way where orders are getting through that should get through and orders aren't getting through that are fraudulent orders. Right.
0: Right. Um, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was worth getting into that. Right. Sure. I mean, oh, I think yeah. it's as a huge serv- part like, of our business. Yeah. Huge part. And I think that it's it's, it's, it's so important to consider a a platform like Olo because it just takes, there's so much. I say this often, like you can't do it alone anymore. There's the restaurant industry today. wasn't the same restaurant industry that you grew up in, you know, like there's so many moving parts you need to be plugged in and you need to be an expert in so many different verticals. Either you hire uh, or, you know, you share equity with people that like compliment you or you outsource to the companies that, our solution to handle that. Yeah. So whether that's a, a, a website developer or a digital presence, all in one tech stack like Olo. And that's the only way I know how to kind of, you're the outside of the restaurant tech stack.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, and increasingly <laughs> inside the restaurant. Yeah, as And well. we're,
0: that's exciting. Cause I didn't even yeah. know about some of these things that you guys are rolling out now, which I think is a good transition to, um, the I think this might actually be a good spot to take a break to thank our sponsors because the Engage is kind of where really where Olo is going. Is that yes. safe to say?
1: It is. It is. Okay. Yeah. So
0: one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about where is the Olo headed and what do we n- mean by Engage? restaurant unstoppable network is back baby and we're better than ever before we already have six live events in the works and we're just getting started if you sign up for restaurant unstoppable network right now you can be a part of these six live events we have casey anton the author of profit first for restaurants talking about profit first we have christine miles the author of what is it costing you not to listen and it's costing you a lot tom sterner the the author of the practicing mind, fully engaged in it 's just a thought to help you get into that right that right mindset and to will your future into existence, we have Kathleen Wood, the woman behind one thing who 's helped so many of our past guests focus and channel their energy to doing one thing really well. We have Mike Payton, the former chief visionary officer or whatever title you want to call it, but he was the guy behind the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS, uh, the, the, the Traction Library books. We're going to get him in the network to talk about EOS. And we have Dave Nitzel and Dave Domzalski, co-authors of The Bar Shift and Hospitality DNA, to talk about their findings in their most recent book, Hospitality DNA. We have a great lineup coming your way. And all you have to do is head over to restaurantstoppablecom slash whatever the episode number is. You'll find a link and a banner for RU Network. Click the link get a 30-day no-strings-attached trial, and the first 50 people to sign up will get a free Restaurant Unstoppable t-shirt. And if you opt in to the annual plan, I'll throw in a Restaurant Unstoppable hat and a mug, but you got to act fast because these are going to go real quick, I have a feeling. And thank you for your support. Restaurant Unstoppable is partnering with CORE, children of restaurant employees. CORE Children of Restaurant Employees invites you to learn more about their mission and their fall campaign, Serving Up Hope. Core is an industry focused nonprofit that provides financial grants to restaurant employees with children who face a life altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Serving Up Hope is a national fundraising campaign and an opportunity for the restaurant industry to come together to serve those who will serve us daily. There is complete flexibility for when and how you raise money. And core has ideas to help. Whether you choose to make a flat donation or fundraise through in-store promotions core provides turnkey resources to make your partnership as simple and successful as possible. It does not stop there. Brands who commit to raising $15,000 or more for core during this campaign receive logo recognition on the wall of hope, a nationally promoted landing page that highlights the companies that have chosen to come together for our industry. Choose to participate and You will help build a culture of caring and demonstrate your support. Support for employees and those that qualify for a grant across the country. More than 70% of core grantees are single mothers and they critically need your help to continue to provide funds. So why wait? Showcase your commitment and leadership to help employees in our industry and sign up for the serving up hope campaign today. Visit CoreGives.org to learn more together. We can serve up hope for restaurant families this fall. We're back and now we're here to talk about Engage. So I feel like this is kind of when we talk about Engage, um, this is kind of where we're we're headed. Now that we're able to get access to this data and we have it, what are we doing with it, right? Mm -hmm. So what does the future of Olo look like under this, this umbrella of engagement?
1: Yeah, so Engage came out of an acquisition that we did in November of 2021 And that was about eight months after Olo went public. We acquired this company that had been a partner of Olo's for five years. And we have a a vast partner ecosystem. We have 300 integrated technology partners. And so we have a really interesting perspective. We're able to see those partners that are really adding a ton of value to our common customers. And that enables us, if we really get conviction about something and believe Olo has to offer something natively, will still always be an open platform. That is a 100% our philosophy, to be an open platform and let restaurants choose the technologies that they want to work with and integrate those into Olo's tech stack. But if we really get conviction that something should be something that we offer natively, that sets up for M&A activity. And so it enabled us to strike up a conversation with the founders of Wisely, the Wisely board, to say, we really think that these two things would be great under one roof.
0: Do you say M&A
1: competition? M&A, yeah. What, what is Mer- that? Merger and acquisition. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's uh, it's a little bit of a financial term. I didn't yeah. mean to, to spring that upon the hospitality <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, so... so That was how we approached the acquisition of wisely. We looked at the imperative for restaurants to own those direct relationships with guests, to understand their guests really as fundamental to what Olo does. We think about this larger promise that we've made to the industry of, we are going to serve as the engine of hospitality. We're going to help restaurants to understand the guests so well that they're able to treat every guest and make every guest feel like a regular. Right. And so that's not just about ordering. Ordering is a part of the puzzle. It's also about reservations. It's also about outbound emails and what does the guest click on. It's about Wi-Fi login. It's about wait list management. It's about um, all of these different components, all these different touch points of how a guest interacts with that restaurant through digital. Okay. So,
0: but you're still, it's still safe to say that Ola's primary focus is guest interaction, guest engagement, guest touch points, right? That's your, that's your focus. That's your niche and what you do digitally, right? And how do we bring that all these potential digital data points, touch points, and bring them in to better serve the guest?
1: Yes. I'd say we obviously, based on our history, have a huge bias in terms of the commercial transaction, the ordering business. That's where we start. It's what brands know us for. But beyond just ordering, payments are another huge kind of transaction that could be separate or apart from ordering. And all of the interactions that a guest has with that brand under one roof in what is known as a guest data platform that can take all of these different touch points and bring them together into a full understanding right. of the guest. And most importantly, an understanding of the guest's lifetime value. Right. That's the, the 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 true north metric as we see it for restaurant operators in the digital era. Right.
0: And this is why it's so worth giving away a free sandwich to get somebody to come back a second time. Sure. giving away something else to come back a third time. Because the data shows that the more you get people to come back, the more likely they are to be a part of you or the more likely you are to be a part of their life and their routines and their habits.
1: Well, I would say that the answer to that is different for a low lifetime value guest and a high lifetime value guest. Meaning if you're not able to discern who are the really valuable guests that I want to retain and who are the guests who are not very valuable, but only coming here once because I offered them a discount. Yeah. You don't want you're sunk. Right. You need to know in the restaurant industry, like in every relationship there is a certain cohort of guests who have a disproportionate impact on overall sales. It tends to be about the top 20% 20 of your guests are about 60% of your transactions. It's less extreme than 80-20, 20-80. But it's important that you know who those 20% are. And right now, the the restaurant marketing that existed pre-Wisely, pre-guest data platform, was very much oriented toward only those guests who had signed up for a loyalty program. Those tend not to be... The highest lifetime value guests. There might have some genres. of them. But yeah, you might have some of them. You might have some who are low lifetime value. The promise of a GDP guest data platform, what's typically outside of restaurants called a customer data platform, but we like guest because that's the hospitality term. A guest data platform that can see every touch point on every guest, that really enables you to understand the lifetime value of every guest. Pinpoint your marketing spend, who you're giving those free sandwiches to, to stick with your example, on those high lifetime value guests. And know that by doing that and by then going out and finding guests that look like those high lifetime value guests, you're going to disproportionately grow the business. Right.
0: And this is how you compete with the law of diminishing returns.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm not going to lie. I saw GDP and I I thought gross domestic product. And yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I like that too. It's, it's a good association. Yeah. Um
1: so I mean what what are you doing specifically to combat the law of diminishing returns? So it's I think really getting smarter about how restaurants use limited marketing budgets. So I think traditionally if you think about restaurants it's like a 3% ad fund is typically what a franchise a franchisor is asking a franchisee to pay for their ad fund. Trillion dollar industry, that's like 30 billion dollars in aggregate spent by restaurants on advertising to existing and new guests. The problem is there's a great quote from the, the world of advertising. I think it's from like the 1920s, this, this uh, magnate for department stores, John Wanamaker, who said, I, I waste 50% of my advertising budget. I just don't know which 50%. Meaning, you, know, you don't have any traceability. You can't track uh, an ad to an order. And add back to a guest, actually changing their behavior. That is is no longer uh, a concern with a guest data platform, where you can see what did a guest spend before we did an offer, and then how did that offer impact with that guest spent going forward.
0: Yeah, fewer and fewer cash, or yeah, fewer and fewer transactions are cash. Everything's tied to a credit card now, or just an account. Yeah. you have through your app or whatever. Is that the point you're trying to make?
1: We live in a very data-rich world, and it is uh, a great opportunity for restaurants to understand how that data comes back to better understanding their guests in a way that enables them to, at scale, make every guest feel like a regular.
0: Right. And then that's, that's the one-on-one or direct. That was it called direct consumer marketing. Is that the
1: term? Yeah. So that, that's, one-on-one that's a great point. So outbound, once you understand who that guest is and you understand from what I, I just picked up, you are now maybe uh, eating more gluten-free. So I might not send you something about some bready high gluten, right? New menu item, but I may send you a, Uh, an email and I may even add an offer to that email to have you come and try something that is gluten-free that I think you might like. So I know you like my restaurant. I know that other people like you who eat gluten-free love this item, feel like we're listening to them. They're cherished members of our restaurant community and I'd love for you to try it. Got it. So I think now
0: the, so it's safe to say from what you just shared with us, your, your biggest challenge to get to where you, that was kind of, you had all this data that you were picking up but yet because you had you're at all these touch points these digital t- touch points but you're like where well, we we have this wealth of d- information mm-hmm. and we have nothing to do with it so y- you your solution was let's go um, acquire a company that can help us do something about what this data that yes. we have so we can really be a, a, a so we can round off the the value that we provide our
1: consumer yeah you got it at that point i think olo had about 2 billion orders wow. that we'd done and so just a mountain of data all tied back to restaurant guests 85 million restaurant guests who use Olo over the course of the year but it was sort of like yeah there's gold in them hills but we haven't unlocked that yet and the idea behind the wisely acquisition was let's give restaurant the ability to harness this data have an imperative to get that guest to forge a direct relationship with them and build out that data profile And then let's give them the tools they need to speak to that guest directly in personalized sniper rifle shots of communication, not just broad messages they send to everybody, regardless of whether they're gluten-free or vegan or what have you, but really get precise around their marketing and their communication. So that guest feels like they know me. They're listening to me. They know what I want to hear about. They know what I want to order. They know what's a good recommendation for me. And they also know the things that I don't care to hear about. Got
0: it. so, what is like, paint the picture now that? So, did you mention it might have slipped through the cracks? What was the company you acquired? Wisely was oh, the name of the company. Okay, that, that's yeah. what I thought. So, that came up. That's what the one I was aware of. And I thought there maybe there was another one that you more. Yeah, recently there was.
1: So, about four months after acquiring Wisely, we acquired a second company called Omnivore. Okay. And Omnivore, super interesting company for a number of reasons, also a POS integration platform. But one, that enables us to do two things. One, onboard 100 new integrated technology partners. But two, have the ability to keep an open check at the restaurant. And that is what led us into thinking about on-premise orders, not just off-premise orders. So you said all the things that are outside the four walls of the restaurant. And I said, yeah, but also increasingly things inside. Kiosk ordering, sure, but also being able to order from the table, keep that order open, add on a second round to that order or another course, and to have an interplay between the guest being able to place the order and a server being able to add on to that order or vice versa and allow either of them to close that check and then be done with the transaction and just walk out. What would that be called?
0: Is there a term that's been developed to describe what you just... Yeah, so that's
1: called uh, broadly open check technology. So the ability to you know, typically with a takeout or delivery order, you're sending an order, it's already been paid for, it's already closed by the time it hits the point that so we know that we've got we've got payment for it. Typical restaurant on premise transactions, you're placing an order, you're building onto that order, only at the very end do you pay for it. Yeah. So it's kind of the sequencing of does the payment happen ahead of time or does the payment happen at the end? And that happening at the end enables you to build that order up over multiple injected kind of items into that check.
0: So it's kind of similar to this idea that we're talking about with third party where there was only one way traffic. Yep. Um, now there's um, before like the in-house experience, also one way traffic. The guest tells the server what to do and the server generally from there, but now it's two way traffic, but also from different inputs, the server yeah. or the guest. So now you have bi-directional communication from two different, Yep. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so at any one time there is an open check on a table and the guests can add to that check, build their order through their phone, through their phone, send it right back to the kitchen or a server can build onto that order. Traditional as they traditionally do send it back to the kitchen. And when the meal is over, the guest can pay using a QR code or just going on to that same ordering interface to pay for the transaction, or they can give their card in the traditional way. So, and the really cool thing is a future in which the guest can just walk out. Yeah. You know, so so this is uh one of the things that I love about having Danny Meyer on my board in every board meeting and especially when we're going through product ideation innovation as he says, well why do we even have to have somebody stop to pay? What if we had their card on file, had a default tip on file, and they could just stand up and go when they're done. That would be great for the guest experience. It'd be awesome for the restaurant. They could move. They yeah. could turn those tables. That's way one of faster. my biggest
0: pet peeves when I'm like trying to catch the movie mm-hmm. and the servers just in the
1: weeds yes. and like just bring the check.
0: Like, As man. the
1: father of a six and a half year old, I can tell you so many, so many dining cases are like, please come, come over. Look at my hand. I yeah. need you to
0: come over now. Or maybe they 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 walk by and there's something on their mind. They might miss that your glass is empty. Yeah. you can just refill. Sure, right there. And where we're going with automation too, you tie that refill directly to a POS system. The POS system communicates to a robot that will make the drink, and then the server gets a ding that the drink's ready for table five.
1: Yeah, I get a little queasy when I think about robot servers, I have to tell you. And and look, this is, I think, if you take one thing away from this conversation, one of the most important things. It's perhaps counterintuitive about Olo. When you tell somebody, and I, I talk about this with new hires all the time, when you tell somebody that you work at Olo and it's about digital restaurants, people kind of stiffen up and they say oh I don't want restaurants to be digital I want restaurants to be human and full of hospitality and heart I love that human interaction we are not in any way trying to replace that human server with a robot what we're trying to do is to provide the data and the insights to that human server to that human kind of agent of the experience so that they can take hospitality to scale so that everybody in every interaction has that norm at cheers effect where you feel like I'm cherished here. I'm loved here. I'm part of the community. Everybody knows my name. They know what I like. They know what I've had in the past. They make a great recommendation about what I should try that I've never tried. That's only possible at scale if you have a smart platform underneath. And that's really what Olo is. It's sort of coding the very elements of hospitality that enable hospitality at scale. Right.
0: So if you go to Olo.com, O L O dot com right now, at the very top of that um page, and we're recording this in what, August of twenty twenty three. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to this a year from now, I don't know if the same video is gonna be there. But um, there's a video, it's a commercial of you. This thing's shot so professional. I think I'm, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity right now because you're like, you're like a like an actor for this. It was really well done. But Thank you me. talk about all the benefits going to the future and like what the future of Olo looks like. And um, kind of touch on some of the things that we haven't discussed yet. I know you, yeah. I mean, we, we talked, I don't know if you mentioned like the drive-through and like the face, like recognizing the license yeah. plate and like all these different things, like get into some of like that futuristic, where are we headed? What do we get access to when we invest in an asset like,
1: yeah so we released that video um first at our our customer event beyond four which is only accessible for olo customers and we we did this in uh i forget it was it i think we filmed it in february and then we premiered it in march live at that event and then we put it up online for everybody to see it but it showed things in march of 2023 that seemed super futuristic like oh, this is years Have you considered out. acting Cause you were, you were really good in this commercial. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I had good coaching along the way. Um, but you know, what was cool about it was we showed things. I'll give an example of facial recognition on a kiosk where, um, the, the, the lead actress walked up to the kiosk and recognized her from facial recognition and it showed her what she got last time and something that she'd never tried before that she might like. And it remembered how she wanted to pay. And I remember that was the experience amongst, I don't know, 10, 12 different experiences that we we mocked up that people reacted the strongest to. And some people were like, I love that. I love that you could walk up to a kiosk, I could just tell you, and you wouldn't have to start from scratch and swipe your card and all this stuff. It would just know you, know what you liked, give you a data-driven recommendation. I'll I'll tell you honestly, some people reacted negatively to it and said, I wouldn't want that thing to know who I was. I don't like the idea that facial recognition. Well, you don't have to sign up. It's an opt-in, of course.
0: Well, I think the fear for some people is, does the information stop? Does it it, it stop with that transaction in your restaurant? Or is the manufacturer of that kiosk that's from China also getting access to my habits? Right.
1: I I get the paranoia about this. This is the world that we live in that is big data and AI and all of this. So it has to be opt-in, 100%. And I'll And yeah. stop there. But my point is, in March of 2023, we're showing this video, and it feels like, okay, maybe in March of 2028 that'll be possible. By the end of June of 2023, so not, not even four months later, we had a, a real-world example, and we have it actually out in our lobby. You can take a look at it, of a, a kiosk partner of ours, Byte Kiosk, that had integrated into the Olo ordering platform, had integrated into Olo pay and enabled that through facial recognition. Is this Elo? Did I say it? Elo is the hardware manufacturer. Byte is the the software provider and the, the company that provides the software. But they built facial recognition ordering with payment details stored. So you could have a much faster transaction akin to what we showed in that video. That was Really shocking to people that that was something that was so near in that we talked about it as a restaurant of the future, but it was within the same quarter that we released this thing to the world. Well, a
0: lot of the things that you discussed during that commercial, that video that you created, uh, the technologies here now, but yes. what's, what's holding us back from this being implemented, like be adopted. The, the biggest thing
1: world. that is holding us back. Cause you're right. That technology is there. Voice recognition technology at the drive-through is there. The experience of a server having that that insight into what you ordered last time, what bottle of wine you ordered last time, what recommendation they should make for you, all these things that we depict in that video, it's all available today. The missing piece is the data platform, and that's the role that Olo plays in the background, that we're able to see that guest and how they interact with that brand across their history of interacting with that brand. And at the higher level through borderless, we're able to see that same guest across all of the brands where they use Olo. Yeah. And so I might have an insight from you that you eat gluten-free and you might walk into a new Olo restaurant customer and I could coach that restaurant to when they show you the menu, show you the gluten-free options at the top of the menu and that's hospitality, right? right? That's knowing, that's anticipating right. what you like. And it's possible because we're behind the scenes and we're across such a huge swath of this industry, 77,000 restaurants, 600 brands. I can see you broadly and I can provide that coaching, that intelligence to let restaurants deliver better hospitality.
0: Right. Right. Do you think we're going to run into an issue where this this information overload is going to be too much for the server to kind of handle when they have five or six tables and they're looking at a tablet and there's all this information? Like, what does the the server to technology interface look like so that this information is flowing s- seamlessly and
1: they can use it in real time yeah. application? it's a critical question it has to be dialed up or down appropriately it can't be overload i would say that three quarters of the transactions in this industry are are not a server taking your order inside of the restaurant that for every one of those kinds of orders three orders are happening through the interface itself through digital ordering for delivery for takeout through the drive-through so that's meaningful right because you can have so much of this that is built into the platform itself. Dialing it so that the platform is coaching the server in what to recommend to you, I think is very doable in a way that doesn't overload them, but gives them the right recommendation. So when I walk into a restaurant, if I'm going with, with my mom, she'll constantly ask, do you have any strong recommendations? And it's it, it always makes me chuckle because my mom's a foodie, my mom's a cookbook author. She has strong opinions about what's going to be good and what's not going to be good. That server has no idea what my mom likes and dislikes. They just offer up what they like, what the chef has told them to promote that day, what's going bad in the walk-in that they need to get rid of. It's not really tuned to her. But if they had a profile on what she liked and what she ordered and what other people like her also liked that she's never tried before, they could give a really good answer to that question. That's the kind of interaction that I see with the server of a little nudge to say, Hey, this is Peggy glass. She loves it when the gnocchi is a little lemon flavored and light as a feather. Yeah. And if you have a dish like that and she's never tried it, say, I think you, you might really enjoy our gnocchi. It's light as a feather. That's her code. Yeah. You know, that sort of insight is doable at the guest level at the server level in a way that can right. feel very natural
0: and i think that in the video you use the example of like italian Reds, yeah right like that's a very specific thing tied to a guest and like hey if you like this then you may also like this it's in your wheelhouse of mm-hmm. things that you enjoy and just have that little bit a little something extra to, to, that says we know you we know what you like and we're paying attention yeah is what is unexpected that's right. And that's what, well, but uh, what I'm curious about is like, what does the actual interface look like? How does this information manifest? Like, like it's hard to, to probably explain it without visualizing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would love to maybe get together with your um, maybe uh, somebody from your sales team to do like a demo where we to see what this stuff looks like. It, yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot. You don't have to answer that now, but it would be cool to have more interactive screen sharing to, on the back end of this interview for the, the listeners. Yeah. Um, but what
1: is, what does that look like? I think, you know, in that video, you see a couple of different interfaces where that kind of coaching can happen. Yeah. One is the wait list or reservation book itself. Yeah. So it's ahead of time. I know that you're coming in for a six o'clock reservation and I know that you're a VIP. There's a little indicator that tells me, Eric's okay, yeah. a VIP. Um, and there's maybe a mark that tells me that you eat a more gluten free diet. And so I pass that along to the server ahead of time. That's pretty, pretty lightweight. Right. We also show in that video, a guest with, i uh, sorry, a server with a tablet. Right. You can imagine it being a, a mobile device, but this is you the can part, imagine it's yeah. an order-taking device. And you can imagine that part of that interface is coaching them on, here's what to recommend to Eric based on what we know about Eric. Yeah. So-
0: and traditionally, I feel like open table, swipely, wisely, you would have had access to this information. You would have seen them on the reservation book during the, the pre-meal meeting. Mm-hmm. You would have be, be bringing this stuff up, right, researching the guests. But the cool thing with digital, um, like order takers having the tablet, is like you don't have to go through all that homework. Beforehand, you're at table five. This party is sitting here. This information is right in front of you. So now the server doesn't have to be on the hook to memorize all this on a Friday night mm-hmm. at 7 30 when you're in the weeds. Yeah. You know, like it's literally the information's right there staring you in the face, which I think is totally powerful.
1: And again, imagine a hybrid experience where the guest elects to start ordering on their own. Yeah. yeah. They're not waiting for a server to come over. They want to order another round. So. Right. And the, again, the things that we're showing them are informed by what we know about them. Right. Italian red show up first on the wine list. Gluten free options show up first on the the food list. Um, you can have that interplay of the guest experience and the server experience so that it's all guest centric.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the one thing, the big thing that I haven't heard come up yet, I think we might have alluded to it, is the feedback. That's huge for you. And this yes. is, yes. Do, do, what you, so what type of feedback do we get?
1: Yeah. I mean, feedback on every component of the experience, feedback on the food, on the ambience, on the service, on the speed of the meal, on the accuracy of the preparation of the dish. I mean, all of these things you can capture through a tool called sentiment, which takes that first party feedback. And you can pull in feedback that's provided on third party review sites like Yelp or TripAdvisor. If it's from that same guest, again, back into that guest profile. That is super powerful to make sure that you're tuning the experience. And if you're a little off and these are high lifetime value guests who are saying that you're off, you're really listening to that feedback and prioritizing that feedback. If it's somebody who's never been to your restaurant before who's low lifetime value guests and they're, they're giving feedback, you probably won't take it as existentially like we must fix this now as you would if one of your most valuable guests said, oh, the service has gone way downhill since last I was here because of X, Y, Z reason. You want to address X, Y, and Z immediately.
0: So with a high-profile uh, guest or a high-value guest, are you offering a, an incentive to offer feedback?
1: Is that, is that how that works? Like- Restaurants can do that. Yeah. I've seen that before where they give some sort of a take our survey and you may win a, a gift like card a or shopper something almost. like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah yeah, I've I've definitely seen that before and that's something that restaurants can do using our platform. Um I think what you find with feedback is that if it's really good or really bad, you're going to hear about it. If it's somewhere in the middle of the road, you likely won't hear about it, but you get those those barbells of the extremes of heinous ex- experience or like life-changingly good experience.
0: Yeah. Can you believe we're Eight minutes away from two-hour conversation. I feel like no. it just goes by it's so fast. You would
1: be like a fun uh, person to have on a flight, you know, next in, in the seat next door. It just like fly by. And be like, hey, we're already in LA.
0: It's fun to be an inquisitive person. I'm yeah. genuinely, I mean, but, but but honestly, when I'm sitting down with amazing people and organizations like you, and I'm genuinely inquisitive and curious about like your mover and shaker man Olo's a mover and shaker you guys are doing stuff like I feel like I, I wish I could have gotten another hour with you man I feel like we're, <laughs> we could still talk so much but I, I do want to know in the time that we do have left what did we did, do did we not discuss in terms of the future where we're going like what bring it out now before we say goodbye
1: yeah I I think um I came into this year and I remember having an experience with, uh, with someone in the industry who'd been a friend for a decade plus And they're like, Hey, good job. You know, like you did it, you're done. Like you, you IPO the company and you blah, blah, blah. You've grown so much since I first met you. And I remember having this, having this feeling of, I'm so grateful for everything that we've accomplished. So grateful and everything had to go right along the way and some things didn't go right, but we've, we found a way through them but you're still but I'm so, so far from where you want to be. <laughs> yes. So I, I said, I like encapsulated that answer that. as like grateful and unsatisfied. There is so much more to do. Do not stop. I am thinking Dude. about, you know, how much, how much larger a role and how much larger an impact I want Ola to have in this industry this is a trillion dollar industry and it's it's going Second up from here. Second largest in the world behind healthcare. It's massive. If you think about food, restaurants and grocery, 2 trillion dollar industry. Right. Digital is still only 15% penetrated. Wow. There is so much further to go. There is so much more impact to have. And I, what I say to people at at Olo is, you know, We have established Olo over the last 18 years as that platform where the digital transformation of this massive industry is going to take place. And we have such a large role to play to inject more heart, more hospitality, to let hospitality go to scale as part of this digital transformation to not just have restaurants go digital and it gets all cold and there's no, you know, feeling left to it. It's very transactional. no, we want restaurants to be more hosp- hospitable and to be more human, and to be that technology platform underneath that data platform underneath that's making that possible.
0: Yeah, man, I love that, and I, I totally share that sentiment of just like you know when you set when you when you create an, a business with an audacious goal to literally change the world, the, there is no finish line. Yeah, because there's constantly a one percent better. There's always a way to be one totally. percent better, uh, and it, I feel like you know. I share that sentiment of just kind of being a slightly insatiable Yeah. <laughs> of like, we can always do a little bit better. And um, on that note, I mean, what as I, I think this is something that the restaurant industry is notoriously guilty of is being a hyper reactive industry, reacting to the consumer mm-hmm. uh, and giving the consumer what the consumer wants. But what, at what point do we stop reacting to the consumer and start influencing the consumer and say, Hey, if we're going to make a better future, for all of us, there needs to be a cultural shift. There needs to be a cultural change. We need to educate the consumer and get them to start reacting to the industry
1: and saying, "Listen,
0: do you agree with where I'm going, or what's going through your mind as I'm saying this? How are you going?" I to think that's attention? right.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think that restaurants, um, part of the fun of restaurants, right, is the education that they provide. Is you know, I was listening to the 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 podcast episode he did with, with Massimo um, and just like hearing him talk about leaving a restaurant with some new piece of information that you just find like delightful and how that's how he thinks about hospitality. I was nodding along with that of, yeah, there's giving the guests what they want. And yeah, the customer is always right mentality and all of that. But if you can kind of push the conversation forward and pique someone's curiosity about something new, take them a little further on the journey. How cool is that? Like it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. I I have come to absolutely love this industry. I love it because it is an industry built on serving others and making them happy. And if we can use our time and talent as a company to help more of that happen in the world, man, I think that's a calling. I think that's something that I could spend the rest of my career till right. I'm a hundred years old doing and loving every single day.
0: So there's one other, so there's a consumer we have to keep happy, right? But as a a public company you have another whole set of people you have to keep happy and that's your stakeholders right so i'm curious how how are you going to move into the future without sacrificing what you think needs to happen for the greater good and are you what are
1: you doing to not put the stakeholders interest first well, look, the stakeholders, as I define them, come back to that conscious capitalism, enlightened hospitality stack ranking. And I believe that's a virtuous cycle. If we take care of ourselves, our families, our teams, our customers, our partners, our communities, and then the investor, all of that comes back around. Yeah. And a great example of that is our IPO was a great success. It enabled us to raise additional capital that enabled us to do more for our team that enabled us to grow our team and acquire wisely. And then omnivore and do more for our customers and our community of partners. And that enriched investors even further. And that comes back around. Like it's all a flywheel. I don't see those things as being in conflict. I see those things as, each one pushing on the next and creating a, a flywheel effect. Well, I think what's happening right now
0: is that there is a sh- cultural shift happening in society where stakeholders are are getting less involved with what they invest in because of the ROI and more because of what it's what it means for the future. And I think I think there's a value shift happening, and it's not about the bottom line. It's about is this a better future for everyone? You know, and I think that if, if the stakeholders' values start to, to shift. I think that's what conscious capitalism is, yeah. um, then the future is a little bit more bright. Inside. Well, I,
1: I love that you're even using that word. I mean, most people say shareholders as like, you know, the financial investors, yeah. but we think about that as one of the cohorts of stakeholders. And right. stakeholders could work at Olo. They could be the family of somebody who works at Olo. They could be a customer, a partner, people part of our community. You know, that is a much larger group. And again, all of those enrich the other cohorts. Right.
0: We got one minute left. I'm going to make the, I'm cutting this one close. Uh, but before we say goodbye, I I, I do want to have you call somebody out. So I really try to have this question steer the, the direction of the show. I don't want to be the one who decides who gets made an example of in the industry. I'm just here to listen and to learn. Uh, it was actually Paul Tunerman who specifically called you out on the show. And you're, the, the Olo name has come up more times than I can count over a thousand episodes. But Paul Truman was specifically saying, get Noah Glass on. So Paul, we made it happen, man. Thank you for calling Noah out. He was awesome. Who is that for you? Who do you think I need to talk to?
1: So when I think about our role at Olo of coding hospitality, kind of putting the great principles into software, into code, the the thing that I read most recently that has been the greatest inspiration, the person who spoke right before we debuted that video of the Restaurant of the Future that you'll find on our site is Will Gadara. Will Gadara is a disciple of Danny Meyer who's on our board and very well known in the industry. And his book, Unreasonable Hospitality- Great listen. Is incredible. And and yes, great listen. Both of those books, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer and Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara, I love books that are read by the author because you hear it the way it was intended to be heard. And both of them do such a great job- at narrating it for Motion, you and putting, you just yeah. feel it in you know, a different way than if you read the text. So right. great book. Will was phenomenal, really charged up the, the crowd of Olo customers at beyond four. And he talked about the principles in his book about how you pick up on things from the guests to just deliver something completely unexpected that blows their mind. Yeah. And then to show how we could do that as a platform and enable it to go to scale was such a cool one two punch that, you know, gives me kind of shivers thinking about. So I think talking to Will, he's such a creative mind. Some of that comes from, you know, his background and, and music and that artistic focus, but applied to hospitality and, and yeah. this uh kind of like way of giving back to the right. world that we've all chosen yeah. is amazing.
0: I loved his book and uh, I mean, I could keep on going about why I love it, but I want to respect your time. We're officially over our time now. So I want to r- wrap it up there, but will is absolutely on my hit list. I'd love to make that happen. Will, if you're listening to this man, you're always welcome as a guest on restaurant unstoppable. I'd be honored. And is there a final call to action you have now's the time to get it out?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go uh, to, let's see. I I was wrestling with this. I'm going to use a Wendell Berry quote, which is, uh, be joyful though you've considered all the facts. I think a lot of things happen in the world. We have a choice of how we process those. I think going about your day with a smile on your face, with joy in your heart, and with kind of a a positive inclination – is so critically important. And I I wish there was more of that in the world, not just in this industry, which I think really does live that more than most, but just broadly, like let's be positive. Yeah.
0: And I'll, I'll end on this note. What brought me here today is what brings light into my life, which is following the information, following the data and, and letting the industry steer the restaurant unstoppable ship. And I'm not, being paid to be here. This isn't an ad. Like I'm here generally because the interest, the industry is talking about OLO, and people are telling me I need to talk to you. And I'm following the data, and I'm here truly out of pure curiosity and interest to share your story. So, uh, thank you for letting this happen for me. This was a this is a big one on my hit list, and we finally made it happen. Now is when I say there is no question, Noah. You are unstoppable.
1: Thank you, Eric. Don't Thank stop. you. This is a <laughs> gift that you give to our industry and our world. Thank you the very pleasure's much. pleasure's mine. Cheers. Cheers. There's
0: another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable Special. Thanks to our guest today, Noah Glass, for coming on and getting deep into the world of digital presence and uh, how also into how that digital world and all this data that we're collecting is starting to spill over into the in-house Dine in experience, and uh, I've I was really pleasantly surprised to see that that's where Olo is going. And uh, I was honestly before rolling into today's interview not entirely aware of all the cool things that Olo has going on. So that was a a real treat for me uh, from a curious interviewer standpoint. I really enjoyed getting into all that, and uh, this is the kind of content that I would love to do more of going into the future. Is paying attention. Uh, Like the the acronym, the analogy that we like to use is, I got to give Jared, our editor, the credit. Like we're here, we're here to be Indiana Jones. We're we're going into the field. We are turning over rocks. We are digging holes. We are finding artifacts. We are finding nuggets of knowledge, wisdoms, leads. And we are taking those artifacts, those clues, and we are going down deeper and this was just one big old clue one nugget that we found um that's come up over and over again this amazing tool called olo uh what they're doing and uh, thank you to paul turnerman for calling noah glass out specifically to make this happen you also helped us um actually connect with noah so thank you for that but um we're gonna need your support to, to continue to operate at this fashion where i literally drive to these people i am driving across the country i'm living out of my car um And the way that we continue to make this organic nature happen is that you guys spread the word about Restaurant Unstoppable. So please tell everyone and anyone you know who's aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry to listen to this podcast. Uh, Share this content. Tag Restaurant Unstoppable podcast at Restaurant Unstoppable podcast when you do share it so we can thank you. Uh, Leave us a review. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, those reviews help go so far with uh, validating the work we're doing here. And then lastly, please come hang out in Restaurant Stoppable Network. It's 30 bucks a month, $1 a day to have access to restaurant tours across the country who are all aspiring to be great. And I can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make the show possible. Thank you to Jerry Parisi for your, your editing and your copywriting with some Madre podcast. Uh, thank you to Callan Miola for your community management role. You're killing it out of the gates. And thank you to Anataz and with the good, kind consulting for your executive counsel and support. It takes an army, and I'm so grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.